You ready? You look nervous. We haven't lost anybody yet. Oh, you'll do fine. I gave you the shortest passage we've had in months. I'll take it. So we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Philippians 4, 1 through 3. What version did you decide on? In the NIV. So should we read? Yeah, don't worry about it. They can hear you. And they can't see you. That's even better that way. That's good. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Judea, and I plead with sympathy to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Amen. Thank you. King's kids, if you're in second grade or under, we have a little junior church you can go to today. Be nice to Helena. Okay, Helena's teaching today. You, you hear me? You too, right there. <laughs> you be nice to Helena. So, King's kids, you're dismissed. Okay, come on. King's kids, they got a couple down there already. Grayson, yeah, you're free, man. Let's res- and we'll bend the rules a little bit if you're a little bit over second grade. We're, we'll be glad to have you as well. Uh, what'd you do during the welcome time? I wasn't here. What happened? Anybody? We just kept singing? All right, I was busy dealing with somebody, and it was a good prayer time. So we're going to pray. We'll pray for him. Um, and in our bulletin, don't take the prayer section lightly. Um, we've got a lot of needs, a lot of hurting people. I gave my bulletin away. Good grief. Um, I'll go off the top of my head. Keep praying for Roy. Uh, keep praying for Karen. She's doing some follow-up. She's. Do we have a date yet on your pacemaker installation? Of this month? Wow, yeah, that's a week from tomorrow. That's coming up quickly. Pray for Gloria, uh, her dental recovery. Um, who else had dental work? Sherry Bell, she's still recovering. Uh, praying for your mama, so good. Let's pray for them real fast. God, thank you that you are big enough to hear all of us pray at the same time. And to know all of our hearts at the same time. We have many, many unspoken needs. We bring those to you right now, but we also bring before you our brothers and sisters who are hurting, who are recovering, who are anxious, who are lonely, who are unable to do the many things that they used to do. And we pray most of all and first of all, God, that your spirit would guide them and lead them and comfort them, and let them know that you are their God, no matter how they feel and no matter what they are going through. Be close to them, draw near to them, and give them the the peace of heart and mind that they can only find in Jesus Christ. If there be any sin separating any of us from your presence, then God, bring it to our hearts and minds that we would be quick to turn our hearts back to you, to trust you, with our relationship issues, to trust you with our health issues, to trust you, and to know that you are God and you are good no matter what we are going through, no matter how much pain and suffering we feel. Don't let us 
forget that this world is not our home, that this body is not our forever body. It is supposed to wear out. It is supposed to wear thin. It is supposed to die so that we can have a new life in Jesus with you forever. You've given us plenty of reminders of that. So help us, God, to be patient as we suffer. Help us to be faithful as we die. And even in the little things, God, check our attitudes and our motives that we wouldn't grow bitter with life or people along the way. Change us. Through this passage of scripture today, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you haven't read the Bible much before, <clears throat> or we've only experienced Christianity through preaching, that's your extent of Bible knowledge, then coming across a passage like today's might, <clears throat> might take you off guard. Like, I thought this was about doctrine. I thought this book was supposed to be heavy and meaningful. It is. And today... It still is. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. I'm sure when this was first being read in front of a church, those two women were probably caught off guard. Can you imagine that you're reading a letter from the Apostle Paul who started your church, led you to the Lord, probably baptized all of you, and you're meeting together and you're learning and he mentions your name and you're like, Oh, oops. Has he been reading her mail, their mail? What is going on here? Well, people are going on. We, we forget sometimes the church is people, imperfect people. Sometimes we grumble against one another. Sometimes we whisper. Sometimes there's just conflict and we just sit on opposite sides of the church not throwing any shade to the edges not that these people are holier not, that's not what I mean when you live life long enough sometimes you just get bitter with one another whisperings, grumblings Paul knows there's something going on between these two saints and he has to address it because we have to address life this is not just a book full of high and lofty aspirations that we should try to live up to this is a life for down-to-earth people that's what our life is and that's what this book is for this book is for people living your life going through the same struggles you are going through so these i i consider these to be some often overlooked passages but they're very valuable because these passages today remind us that this entire book from God is divinely inspired and he wants to get all up in your business. All the time, every day, in every interaction, in every relationship, nothing escapes his sight or his care. That he would care enough to gently call out two ladies in a very particular church at a very particular time at risk of alienating them, at risk of embarrassing them, 
so it is with us. You see, God, in Jesus Christ, He's not just seeking to save your soul, but to transform all of your relationships now. So the title here is Humility Brings Harmony. Humility brings harmony. That has been, since chapter 2, a huge part of this book to the Philippians, this letter. Humility, humbleness. That's the only way two people who are not getting along, for whatever reason, can get along. They have to bury it. They have to look up to one another. They have to respect one another enough to let it go. One of the most unintended and quotable quotes from this book has been, shut your holy mouth. I, I did not plan that. That is ingrained in some of your hearts now. The book of Philippians. That, that, that captures the essence of humility. Where even if you're right, even if you're living your life right, you don't need to correct everybody on everything. Just take it. Let God deal with some people in the right way, the right time. You don't always need to be right. For a big idea on this passage, I've got this. If faith doesn't lead to harmony in a church, then we are missing the point of the gospel. If our individual faith doesn't lead to more and more harmony in our church and in our small groups, across generational lines, across social lines, across all the lines we draw on everything, if we are not in our faith growing deeper in our harmony with one another, then we are missing the point of the gospel. Yes, the gospel can be simplified that you need to be right with God through Jesus Christ. Boom. But that's not where it ends. That's not all of the gospel. That is a quick one-sentence summary of the gospel, that you need to be right with God. But then it filters into every area of your life. You need to be right with God with your spouse, with your bosses, with your coworkers, with your enemies, with your kids, with church folk and church folk. And so it goes on down the line. In other words, your faith should ooze into every area of your life. And if it's not, you're missing the point of the gospel. If Jesus is not helping you with your daily struggles, then you need to ask where Jesus is. Because he wants to help you with your daily struggles. Even something as apparently mundane or accepted as normal as some kind of tension between Euodia and Syntyche. What happened? Was there a potluck? I suspect there was a potluck. And some, they probably brought the same thing. I thought you said you were, I, well, I thought, well, that's my favorite dish. Well, that's my favorite dish. That's what I, well, that's what I cook. You trying to steal my husband. Why are you making what he likes best? Why are you trying? No, that's what my, no. Thought, 
It doesn't take long for us to escalate the most minute differences into huge disagreements. Hatfields and McCoys. And, and generations later, we don't even remember what we are fighting about. We don't even remember why we are disagreeing with somebody. We don't even remember why we don't like them. Or maybe we do remember because we have, have sharpened that axe every day of our lives. Maybe we do remember and we just don't want to let go. Um, let me remind you. Harmony and like-mindedness is the very reason Jesus died in our place. Yes, Jesus was crucified buried and rose again to make us right with God and right with one another. Because those are the great commandments. Love God and love one another. That's only possible through what Christ did. But that's only the beginning. Harmony and like-mindedness are the same thing. Not something that's just, uh, you know, harmony in the church or like-mindedness. That's not, that's not just a side benefit. It's not an option. It's not something we just want to pray about. Well, I'll pray about her. No. That's, that's not what this is about. For Paul, this is central and extremely important. And he's in the middle of his teaching section. But before he wraps this letter up, he needs these women to know he cares about them. And they have got to get this relationship right. They need to find harmony or this church is dead in the water. Not going anywhere. Not going to grow. Not going to have any influence in the city whatsoever. Because all people are ever going to sense, given enough time visiting the church of Philippi, is that so-and-so doesn't like so-and-so. And I guess Jesus isn't enough to fix that. And if anybody on the outside senses that Jesus is not enough, we failed. We failed. That, that should be our heartbeat, that Jesus is enough. He's enough. So Paul, if you remember from last week, verse 1, I think, is technically the uh, end of chapter 3. It's a good summary statement. After he's talked about citizenship in heaven, Christ is going to transform us. We're going to find conformity in the body of his glory. Therefore, summarizing his previous argument, my beloved brethren whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I think there's a hard case, strong case right there. That chapter 4 begins in verse 2. New thought, new direction. I urge Euodia and I urge it's not just one person's problem here. They're, they're both equally responsible for this. Live in harmony in the Lord. He uses the word urge twice for both of them. They both need the urging equally. Like he's on two sides pushing with might. <clears throat> two people who don't want to live in harmony. They're not living in harmony. Otherwise, why would he tell them to? How could he know what's going on? Remember the guy who brought him news from Philippi is Epaphroditus. So he's got somebody sitting with him 
who knows what's been going on since Paul has gone. He knows what's going on. He's heard it. That's enough for him. He's addressing it. The word urge is interesting. It's urge in the NASB, but it can also be translated as exhort or encourage, implore, beseech, beg, or plead. Those are the common uses of the word. I like that. I exhort you, encouraging you. Hey, ladies, please, I'm imploring you, please get along. I'm beseeching you. I'm, I'm even willing to beg and plead a little bit, like, please get along. This is really important to me. But then these last two words are kind of interesting. Because this form of urge can also be translated as comfort or console. That's different. I comfort you, ladies, to live in harmony in the Lord. doesn't seem to quite fit with urge but it does because it's it's speaking to his desired end i'm comforting you that it's going to be okay if you'll find harmony in the lord that's what he's trying to do whenever there's tension we want there to be resolution that resolution that feeling when the tension is gone is comforting that's where he's going with this. I'm, let, me, let me comfort you two ladies. Try to get along in Jesus. And that will bring comfort. Here's, here's another part of it. It'll bring comfort to everybody. You're killing us here. He's not just out to make things right between them. Because he knows when they're right, It'll help everybody be right. Everybody will take a deep breath <laughs> and be okay and be better. And isn't this the way of Jesus? Paul did not come in harsh. He, he doesn't use a command here. This is a, a, a suggestion. I'm urging you. I'm urging you. But he doesn't command them. You two ladies, get it right or go home. He's not, he's not coming down hard and harsh. And he could have. But, but he really takes what I'm calling the low road of Jesus. Where Jesus, if you'll read a lot of his teaching, he doesn't always come in hot and heavy. He's instructive. He's calm. He's collected. He's persuasive without being mean. Paul's right. They need to get along because it's hurting the church. Jesus was always right. But he takes the form of of a servant and is willing to wash feet to teach lessons to do the work of the forgotten in order to never be forgotten paul takes the same tact he takes the posture of jesus in a way that shows true humility is better than sheer force or strength of will to be honest, Paul's probably talked to these ladies. He probably led them to Jesus when he was there. But he knows he can't make them do anything. He needs to persuade them, convince them. So he appeals to the highest power possible. He asks them to live in harmony in the Lord. That's, that's, the, that's the strongest 
argument Paul has. It's all he's got. And even if only one of them finds it, there can be peace. Have you thought about that for yourself before? Two people at odds with each other. The ideal would be, oh, yes. Let's mutually agree to forgive one another and not talk about that anymore. It's not that important. We are together in Jesus. But what if just one of them does that? What if one of them humbles themselves places themselves as less important than the other ones. Will one of them continue on in pride and stubbornness and bitterness? Yes. What happens to the other person? They're free. The ideal is for both to humble themselves to each other and get along in Jesus. But I'm here to remind you, life is not that perfect. All Jesus ever did was humble himself before other people and do what needed to be done, and they crucified him. Don't expect any better. If you do your part in every relationship, you're going to make much of others. Sometimes it's going to work out. Sometimes it's not. But you can still have peace with the Lord. Knowing you did your part. Knowing it's not all about you. And here's another illustration. It's rolling your cares and your burdens onto Jesus. Paul, set yourself free. Don't need to carry all of that. Forgive people and let go. Live in harmony. Ah, that sounds familiar. Live in harmony. Chapter 2, there it is, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude or mindset in yourselves which was also in jesus what did jesus do what was jesus's mindset how did how did jesus have that kind of mind what did he think well verse 6 chapter 2 although jesus existed in the form of god he did not regard equality with god a thing to be grasped or taken advantage of but instead jesus emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even to the point of death. That's the mind. That's the harmony he's looking for. It means have the same mind. And not just the same mind with each other. He says, this is have the same mind in the Lord, in Christ, of Christ. Our deepest union and bonds is never going to be when we see eye to eye. Our deepest union is going to be when we see Jesus together. We can can, uh, agree on a lot of things, but that's not spiritual living. In fact, it can become the opposite of spiritual living. When we are in agreement, it leads to tribalism. Where you and I are the same, we believe the same about something. And then it becomes us, we who agree together, against everybody else. You and me versus the world. A lot of marriages are built this way. 
A lot of churches can be built this way. A lot of companies are built this way. A lot of political parties are built this way. It's us against them. And you have this. We are right and everybody else is wrong because we all agree on a certain amount of things. But that's not healthy. Because very, well, not very rarely, but never will you find anybody who actually agrees with you on everything. Those are false things to build your life around. So what does God want? What is Paul expecting when he says, in the Lord, live in harmony in the Lord, have the same mind in the Lord? It's communion. That's the the closest biblical word I could think of. Because communion leads to fellowship in Jesus. So the greatest bonds that we can have are not just outwardly, worldly, things we agree on in this life. They need to be our true communion with one another needs to be built upon something spiritual that's going to outlive us, that's going to be bigger than us, that's going to be bigger than any movement that could be created by any other human group or organization on planet Earth. And Jesus has already done it. It's him. When we agree in Christ, it takes us out of ourselves, which is shallow living, and places us in the body of Christ, and we become citizens of a new kingdom. That's the goal. A kingdom of a different kind. A kingdom that will never end. With a king who has never lost a battle. With a king who has always been in fellowship with God and never done anything wrong. Who will always lead us in righteousness and truth, justice and mercy. A king who is perfectly balanced and will meet all of our needs. That is what we need. And it's only in Jesus. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord, but he doesn't stop there. Verse 3, Paul calls in some help. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle and the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The very beginning of verse 3 says, Indeed, NASB has true comrade. Another translation has um, companion. Does anybody have something different? Does anybody have yoke fellow in their translation? True yoke fellow. Now, those are all legitimate translations, which could also be somebody's name. That's, that's, that's a legitimate form of a name. Here's the name. Don't name your kids this. Cy Zygus. Cy Zygus. Our true yoke fellow. That's what it means. That's the word for companion. That's the word. It's true comrade. Somebody who's close enough to Paul. Paul trusts them enough to lead these two ladies to get reconciliation. Probably, since Paul is calling them out, or at least mentioning them, uh, 
in verse 3, I ask you, singular, I'm asking, he's asking somebody specific that he has specifically in mind. I'm asking you, probably an elder, probably a, uh, a teaching elder in this church in Philippi who Paul would expect to get the letter, probably maybe the leader of that, that house church. He, somebody Paul has specifically in mind who's doing the reading and probably snickered when he read, <laughs> I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. And then he reads his own name. And then, oh, and I have to help. Come on, Paul. Leave me out of this. Nope. Nope. It's everybody's business. Let me say that again a little more clearly. Church folks, your business, it's everybody's business. Because you cannot be better without all of us. This is why we pray for one another. And there are a whole lot more one another's. How do we forgive one another if we don't know one another's faults and sins? How do we pray for one another if we don't know what one another's needs and struggles are? How do we love one another if we don't spend time with one another? How, how, how? You have to be together to practice the one another's. We need to spend more time together. We need to be more hospitable. We need to invite people into our homes. Don't invite yourself into other people's homes. That's kind of creepy. But if mutually we're working together and we're meeting in home groups and we're doing our small groups, it is going to do this. We're going to find true comrades, fellow workers who can help us all together. And he doesn't just call them women. He says, I'm asking you to help these women who have shared my struggle. Paul had a lot of struggles when he was in Philippi. These ladies helped him. That's why he cares about them. They're his friends. He knows their names. He's eaten meals with them. And they've helped him, not just in the common struggles of life, but in my struggle in the cause of the gospel. These ladies are born-again believers, and they've helped me do spiritual things. Church, help them do spiritual things again. It's important. And he name drops again, together with Clement also. And the rest of my fellow workers. Now he's dragging everybody into it, whose names are in the book of life. So here's what I see. Our friendships at church, our fellowships at church, our attitudes in coming to church. It's building up this reason for why we should value church membership. Because church membership is not really complicated. It is struggling to live out the gospel together. That's the heartbeat of it. But we need to struggle with people who are of the same mind, of the same purpose, of the same intention. How do we know who is with us? How do we know? And, and we have chosen as a church body, you all have voted on a specific way that we handle membership. We have an affirmation of faith. We call and elect uh, deacons and pastors, and we, we follow their leadership. We sign a church covenant now. And we agree to live life together. 
That's how we know who we're supposed to be struggling to live life out together with. It's a little more complicated than they probably had it back then. But then again, back then they had one church to choose from in town. One strain of Christianity. It was apostolic. And it was growing. There are going to be some tweaks and there are going to be some turns and different teachings are going to creep in. And there's going to be a need to refine who are we. So that's how we do it. It's not the only way. I think it's the best way. But it's not the only way. But all of that membership talk is for this purpose, so that we would live life together and you would know who you agree with and who's praying for you, who your pastor is, who your deacons are, how we're going to do ministry together. Where does the money go? How do we spend the money? How are we accountable for this building? Whose name's on this? Whose name's on that? Who's going to fix this? Who's going to help so-and-so? Us. If you ever have a question, ask. You want to know who? Ask. Speak. Ask for help. Talk it up. That's part of being the church. But don't forget that we are struggling not just to survive. We are struggling to live out the gospel together. That's important. The whole reason the Apostle Paul came to the city of Philippi in the first place and preached Jesus in the first place was so that these rascals who he's calling out by name, would be born again. That they would have unity in Jesus. Then they would be organized by Paul. He would call elders. He would appoint deacons. And then they would serve one another. Now they're sending out money. They're, they're paying for missionaries. This is, a, this is an awesome church. The church in Philippi can glorify God better than Paul alone in Philippi. Think about that for just a second. With all of its warts, with all of its problems, even with the tension between these ladies, this church in Philippi can now do greater things for the gospel than Paul could by himself with the gospel. That's why he moved on. He got them jump-started, kick-started, and then he went and did it in another city. Then he went and did it in another city. That's how it works. And he knows while he's gone, they have to grow up. This is part of the growing pains, learning to live in harmony with one another. Aren't church people some of the hardest people in your life? Nobody's nodding. I mean, I'll start the uh, I'll start it right here. Church people are going to be some of the hardest people in your life. This church people is going to be some of the hardest people in your life because we expect the most from each other. And so when we fail, it hurts the most. If I have Jesus, you expect me to act like Jesus. So when I don't, it's going to sting. And it's going to sting more than it would sting if your non-Christian neighbor were to do or say the same thing that your Christian neighbor would do. Because you expect better from them. Them, you're like, oh, persecution for the world. Them, you're like, ah, I'm not talking to you again. Like, wait, wait, what? No, that's, it's true. It's painful. Suck it up. We are going to hurt and offend one another. But we have a call from Paul here and an example that even when there's tension, 
we need to find a way to live in harmony. And if we can't do it, enlist other people. True comrade, Clement, the rest of my fellow workers. Who does Paul enlist? Look at the last line of verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3. All of these people, he says, their names are in the book of life. Yes. Echoes of chapter 3, verse 20, citizenship in heaven. He's like a bulldog on this point. If we are right with God, we are of a different kind, a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of people. We can learn to get along because we have a higher purpose and a higher calling. Our names are in the book of life. Come on. We need to be able to figure this out. We need to be able to talk this out. We need to be able to sometimes agree to disagree. Sometimes we need to agree to just not talk about that anymore. We can work this out. Paul is insisting that we live godly lives now, that we live holy lives right now, that we live blameless lives between one another right now, that we live humble lives right now. So the gospel is more than justification by faith. And the gospel is more than looking forward to future glorification by faith. The good news of Jesus is that we can have harmony now. Paul would not have asked them to have harmony if he didn't believe it was possible for them to have harmony now. Now. So the good news of Jesus Christ is harmony and Christ-mindedness now. I'm closing by reading Philippians chapter 2. I read some of it already, but this is, this is where, this is the heart of the book of Philippians. And it is bleeding into chapter 3, and it is already bleeding into chapter 4, this idea of like-mindedness, humbleness, and humility. So listen to me. Close your eyes for just a second. Put your pen down. Put your hands in your lap. And listen to the words I am about to read from Philippians 2. I think you've heard them before. I want you to listen to them through this filter this morning. Do I have the mind of Christ? Is this me that Paul is talking about? So listen carefully. Philippians chapter 2. If therefore there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also look out for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his own good pleasure do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run or toil in vain. Euodia, Syntyche, please live in harmony in the Lord. Stand with me. That's what we all need, and that's what I'm about to pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we need your help learning to live in harmony with one another in the Lord, which means, God, it means we need to keep Jesus high and lifted up in our own hearts first. So that is our first prayer. Help us do right by you. Help us to love you properly. Help us to see you when we open your word. Help us to feel close to you when we pray. Help us to be the people that you have already made us. You have declared us righteousness by faith. Our righteousness is through grace, through faith alone. God, that's your doing. You've called us right. Help us to live it out. And the second part of our prayer is help us to get along with one another. Help us to find ways to agree instead of disagree. Help us to find things to work together over instead of fight over. We have many needs and many different people and many different personalities. God, help us to find harmony in Jesus so that we can be a church full of like-minded people who are citizens in heaven whose names are written in the book of life. Amen. Thank you, God.
benediction from 2 John, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and life. God bless you. Amen.